The Plumley Pod, episode 52. Prepare to lift the lid on all things education, not indoctrination. Your voice of reason for home education. The Plumley Pod. Hello and welcome to the Plumley Pod. I'm your host, Sarah Plumley, and this morning I'm going to be getting stuck into child mental health. It's a new phrase, isn't it? Never was any such thing back in my day. Do you remember? In the land before time when there were dinosaurs, when there were... Wait a minute. Maybe not. Anyway, so it's a funny old thing, isn't it, child mental health? I'm going to get stuck into that with you. I've been doing lots of reading lately. In particular, my emphasis is going to be on the rejuvenative power of sleep. Sleep. Glorious, glorious sleep. I've been heavily influenced by Dr. Matthew Walker's wonderful, wonderful book called Why We Sleep. Before I get stuck into that, I must just give you an update on the banksters. Yeah, it's rare, isn't it? Unless I have a guest, it's rare that a week slides by without me having to reference the banksters. But for those of you who have your diaries out at the beginning of these kinds of things that are organized, let me give you some dates first. I'm going to be lecturing on Tuesday, Tuesday the 27th of June. That's June just right now, uh, this Tuesday, this month, coming up at 8 p.m. UK. That's 8 p.m. BST, 8 p.m. UK time. It's free for all. I want you to have this information. I know that parents and grandparents do not have time to read tons and tons of books, and that is a great shame, but I do understand that. So I've read them for you. I've read them for you, and I'm going to freely and willingly share the information that I have distilled on that evening because I want your children to live long, happy, and healthy lives. So I'm going to scratch the surface today in this half-hour podcast, but I'm going to go real deep on Tuesday night, Tuesday the 27th of June at 8 p.m. How do you get there? It's really easy. You click a Zoom link. That's it. That's all you've got to do. I don't need your email. I don't need your name. I don't need anything. You just click a Zoom link. In order to get the Zoom link, you will need, of course, to put your email into my Substack, but I don't do anything with that except send you the link. My Substack is sarahplumley.substack.com. That's Sarah Plumley. Plumley is P-L-U-M-L-E-Y, sarahplumley.substack.com. Stick your email in there. It's free, and I will send you the link on Tuesday night. Now then, now then, let me get back onto my hobby horse. It's the Banksters. I need a jingle for the Banksters, don't I? I have to talk to Chris about a jingle for the Banksters. Or maybe I could get one of those rude toys that say swear words every time you press them. That would be quite amusing, wouldn't it? Anyway, what have they been up to this week? Well, 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 they are closing my account, my last remaining personal bank account in seven days, unless I provide my papers. Yes, or whatever, your papers, please. No. I think that was what defeating the Nazis was supposed to be all about, wasn't it? Not having to provide our papers every five minutes, surveillance state, etc., etc. At least that was the pretense under which many men went to war and lost their lives. So why am I being quote-unquote awkward and not giving them my papers? Because they've already had them. They've already had my passport and all my driver's license when I set up the account six or eight years ago. I'm not showing it to them again. Why should I? They've already got my ID. They know who I am. I'm the same person living at the same house. Nothing has changed. Why do you want my papers again? And they want a selfie. I know I've told you this before, but it's happening again right now. Right now, they've asked for this stuff from me again. And I've said no, again. So this time, they're closing my account. Anyway, I'm going to go all the way with this one. I'm going to complain. And then if I lose my complaint procedure, I'm going to go to the ombudsman. 
And if I lose that, then I will go to court because these people cannot be allowed to get away with this. The company's called Wise. They used to be called Transfer Wise. I would suggest it's not terribly wise to put your money there these days. W-I-S-E, Wise, and they constantly harass you for selfies. Why do they want a selfie? So I want to pay my podcast producer. I want to pay my website host. As usual, I've been paying them both from that account for over a year. I've been paying my website host a lot longer. But I've been paying from this particular account for over a year, regular payments, and now they want a selfie of me when I'm doing it. That just sounds perverted to me. I don't know about you, but I really don't like the idea of that. I would suggest that probably they're not a company full of perverts, probably. I would suggest that what they're actually doing with it, somebody somewhere, is harvesting biometric data. Call me a conspiracy theorist, but do you remember? Do you remember those PCR tests? Yeah, those polymerase chain reaction tests. Ah, yeah, those, those fake tests, fake convid tests, tests that couldn't possibly be used to detect infectious disease. Why? Because the creator of the PCR test, the polymerase chain reaction test, Kerry Mullis, said so. He was the inventor. He won the Nobel Prize for Chemistry in 1993 for the creation of that test. And he said it cannot be used to detect infectious disease. Well, quite aside from that, they were using the swabs to harvest data, biodata. How do we know this? Because even the great heaving bosom, Julia Hartley Brewer, of whatever it is, talk TV, talk radio, whatever, blah, 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 even she went mental about it live on air because she found out that her daughter's details, her daughter's DNA, had gone off to one of these biotech companies without her permission. And this was a minor. Her daughter was a minor at the time. She might still be a minor. So the heaving bosom went nuts about that on air, and rightly so, one of the few good things she's done. And of course, this company was denying it. We all got called conspiracy theorists. Do you remember back in 2020 and 2021 when they were shoving these things right up their noses? We told them, uh, you don't want to be doing that. You don't know where that information's going. They called us crazy. Well, turns out not so crazy, doesn't it? Anyway, my gut is telling me that these banksters don't want a selfie of me for good reason. And I'm waiting. I'm obviously going to ask them for the official reason because I still haven't been given it. But that I'm going to get stuck into that once I've rescued my money first. So at the moment, I'm rushing around, removing my money, spending my money, withdrawing cash, anything to make sure that when they do freeze my account in about seven days' time, that there's virtually nothing in it. Then I can do all of these complaints procedures without worrying about money. I can do the whole ombudsman procedure without stressing or worrying about my finances. <sighs> so why am I having a heaving bosom moment about this? Well, I'm having a Julia HB moment because British citizens have the right to not own either a passport or a driver's license, nor both. We don't have to have any. I do not have to have, by law, a passport. I do not have to have, by law, a driver's license unless, in the case of the former, I wish to go abroad, and in the case of the latter, I wish to drive a car. There is no requirement for me to have either of these, and nor should there be. There are people who don't have either. My uncle is, happens to be one of them. He's never driven a car, never even had a provisional, and he's never gone abroad in his whole life. Yeah, it's just one of a few people I know. My brother, one of my brothers, probably has a passport. It might be out of date, but he's never had a driver's license, doesn't want to learn to drive, taking after my uncle there. Okay, it's not maybe the norm, but there's still quite a lot of people who don't own either one or both of these things. And why should they? It doesn't make them a criminal because they don't want to drive a car. Anyway, I thought Greta would be thrilled. Greta Thunberg, how dare you? I thought she'd be delighted that all these people are not having driver's licenses and not wanting to pollute the atmosphere, stealing her future by using carbon or whatever garbage, whatever the latest thing is. In any case, I'm going for it. And I'm going to go down the discrimination angle 
It's discriminatory. It's an invasion of privacy. The discrimination is they're discriminating between people who do and don't have driver's licenses and passports. There are plenty of people who can't afford to go abroad on holiday, and there are plenty of people who can't afford to own, keep, and maintain a car, especially with these electric ones, right? So what this boils down to, and I ranted about this several weeks, if not a couple of months ago, is digital ID. This is all about digital IDs. They are trying to force you to have a digital ID. They're making our lives miserable. They're making us jump through ridiculous hoops, do humiliating things. Who wants to stand there and take a selfie? I know the current narcissistic generation wants to stand there and take selfies all day. Nobody in my generation wants to take pictures of themselves. There's something really off about that. Do you know what? I'll let you into a little secret. If there are little ears around, bearing in mind it might be Sunday morning when you're listening to this, you might want to like switch off for a moment or so now or come back to me later. But I actually didn't realize, I was a bit concerned that a selfie was something else. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, don't you? Maybe I won't have to name it. I thought a selfie was something rude, like self-abuse kind of selfie. You get my drift? I'm trying to keep this clean for the little ones. When I first heard the term, it sounded dodgy to me. That's what I thought. Why are people openly talking about doing selfies or taking selfies or having selfies? I was really disturbed by it at the time. Obviously, I later learned that it was taking a photograph of oneself, but that's how alien to me, and I'm not that old. I always joke, but I'm actually not. I didn't come from the land before time. I didn't come from the land of the dinosaurs or even the Middle Ages. Me, I'm from the dumb ages. We have the most information available and we're the dumbest MFs that ever roamed this earth relative to the information that's available anyway. So yeah, I'm going down the discrimination angle and I'm also going down the, we are British citizens and we have the right not to have pickers. We fought the Nazis over it, yada, yada, the usual. Well, we might as well use it. They use it against us all the time, don't they? So we might as well use it back at them, I think. And that's what I shall be doing. So longer and the short of it is they won't let me pay my podcast producer or my website host. <laughs> even though I've been doing it for uh, at least a year off this particular account. And yet, unless I gave them my photo ID and a selfie, they refused to let me move my own money. Yet my husband paid both of those bills this week from his account with the same company. It's not a joint account. His account is separate and it's in a different name to mine. And they let him pay both bills. Yet he's never paid either of these companies <laughs> from that account in his life. So he's just paid two companies with whom he's never done business from this particular account. And they didn't ask him for a selfie and they didn't ask him for a photo ID. That was probably quite a good decision because I think Lord Plumley would have taken you to the cleaners if you'd asked him for that. Anyway, just I thought I'd give you a little update on that hilarity with my bankster probs. So, of course, I videoed the whole thing. So I can actually prove that uh, computer said no to me, but computer said yes to husband's account. Well, obviously, he was sat there with me telling me his password and everything. Of course he was. I didn't break into my husband's account. How dare you? As if I would... Anyway, in the age of all this wonderful technology, how could one possibly break into one's husband's account in order to pay a bill? No, 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 no. It's all digital ID, isn't it? It's all... They're all... They're grifting for digital ID. They're going after it. So, like I said, I've been withdrawing lots of cash, buying lots of stuff that I need for my business and for my house, stationery. I had some fun with the stationery. I apparently spent too much money on stationery. And although I paid them with my card... It went through. They then wrote to me and said, oh, no, no, we're not accepting your payment by card. You have to do a bank transfer. Now, the bank won't let me transfer money. It will let me spend money on a visa on the card that is attached to the account. Bearing in mind, there's no credit. I should have said that before. I have no overdraft and I have no debt. All right, there is no overdraft. There's no credit here. There's no loans. It's real money. It's money I've earned. And yeah, they literally wouldn't let me buy paper clips. 
Like, how is that a security risk? Do you think I'm going to lob them at grannies or something? I mean, how stupid. What do you think I'm going to do with my pencil shavings? Am I going to hold up a cab with a huge pile of pencil shavings? What would be the point in that anyway? It's completely crazy. So apparently, even though the Visa card let me pay and the company took my money, they won't deliver the goods unless I pay the money via bank transfer. So they're obviously going to have to refund my Visa card, which is with this dodgy company that is trying to take away my account next week. And so what I did was I then ordered one quarter of my order, i.e. a lower amount, a few hundred euros worth of stationery, under the same name, from the same card, from the same bank, to the same address, home address for the billing and the same shipping address for delivery. And that went through. So clearly there's a certain number, there's a certain amount of money that I'm not allowed to spend on stationery from a stationer's. This is from Staples, by the way. The French version is called JPG. JPG. English version would be Staples. So Staples, the stationer, will not let me pay a certain amount of money for literally pencils, files, paper, ink cartridges. They won't let me do that. But they will let me pay two, three, four smaller transactions for the exact same gear. I even ordered the same things in the exact same order so they would see that it's the same person. And they've let those go through. So it's all about safety and security, ladies and gentlemen. Can't be too careful who you sell your paper clips to, can you? But can you see that what we already have, digital money, programmable money, CBDCs are actually already here. Although technically this currency is fiat, and for the time being I can pull out physical paper money from that account, they're still not letting me spend it using my card online. They'll only let me spend it in certain amounts. Oh no, you can only spend this much on stationery. You can't spend that much in one go. Well, why not? It's mine. Why can't I do whatever the hell I want with it? I'm not asking to do something illegal with it, and we all know plenty of crooks who are doing illegal things, don't we? Yes, we do, we do, we do, we do. I tend to point those kind of creatures out on Wednesday nights during my live stream. And at this moment, I will just take a little break from the banksters to tell you a couple of things that you should really go and check out if you haven't had time. So grab that pen, a bit of paper, make a note, grab a post-it. If you haven't already, go and check out the podcast episode 50, the podcast that I recorded with Tony Brady, the father of Aaron Brady, who is currently incarcerated in an Irish jail for a murder. He just cannot have committed it. It's not a miscarriage of justice. It's a fit up by the state, in my honest opinion. I've looked at dozens of hours of videos about this case. It's an unbelievable scam, an unbelievable scam, and a young man's life is at stake. So if you haven't had a chance yet to go and listen to episode 50 of the Plumley Pod. I've interviewed Tony Brady there. It's three hours, 20 minutes long. Three hours, 20 minutes. It's a huge podcast, but please give it your attention. This stuff really matters. If we're not going to say no when the state lift one of our children off the street and lock them up for something they haven't done, then we're finished. So please go do that. The other thing I'd like to draw your attention to is my Wednesday night live streams, which are at 8 p.m., 8 p.m. UK. You can join me live via a Zoom link if you're a member of my Substack. It's free. You can be a member of my Substack for free. I will send you the link and you can attend live or you can watch it later on Catch Up. The previous live stream I did has attracted quite a bit of attention, not surprisingly because it's called Is Another Journalist About to Be Assassinated? It's kind of time sensitive, guys, (laughs) really sensitive. So if you haven't seen it yet, Is Another Journalist About to Be Assassinated? You can find that, a link to that on my Substack or you can go direct to my Odyssey channel. Just search for Sarah Plumley on Odyssey. That's Sarah with an H and Plumley, which is plum, like the fruit, and L-E-Y on the end. And you should find it. It's my most recent live stream. Live stream seven is another journalist about to be assassinated. Go check that stuff out, please. Really important information. Not for me, 
I don't get anything out of doing these things. That's not going to help me out. But it's very, very important. These are the things that the alt media should be covering. And well, one of my questions to you is why aren't they? Why aren't they indeed? Right then, you've had enough of the banksters, I'm sure. The French state is committing fraud, though. I'm just going to hang that out there as a bit of a teaser. I'm sure I'll talk to you about that in due course. Probably I'm going to put out some little videos. The customs and excise, the Dua, the French version of customs and excise, tried to rob me. In fact, they did rob me of 30 quid this morning. Freaking mafia. And I'll expose them. They've actually acted illegally. That's not going to surprise you guys, is it? Yeah, they've stolen my money illegally from me this morning. Had a massive Barney with the delivery driver. He works for Chrono Post. I think we should call them Chronic Post from now on. So Chronic Post, i.e. Chrono Post, have got serious problems because their delivery drivers can't even obey their own rules of their own company. So I'll be getting stuck into that shortly. In fact, one of my guerrilla editors is an amazing complainant. He is the best person at complaining I have ever met. He even makes a little side hustle out of complaining because he does it with style. He goes and gets the company's own policies off their websites, and he basically hangs them with their own words. Because very often, these companies, they make you play by their rules. Otherwise, they fine you or ban you or do bad things to you. They punish you if you don't play by their rules. But usually, they don't play by their rules. And they get away with it because we don't complain, or we don't know how to complain, or we don't complain in such a way that they will have to pay us compensation. Anyway, this guy's a genius. I've been taking lessons off him. And Stephen Herbert is the gentleman I'm referring to. He's been on the podcast before. He's our, believe it or not, he's our friendly beekeeper, makes awesome honey and all things bee products. Should go check him out at Beehive Yourself. And yeah, go look that up in the Plumley Pod. You'll find all the links to his website and stuff there. But he's a brilliant complaints. I've been learning from him. So I'm definitely going to be going for it with this latest tax tax theft from it's not actually chrono post, it's not chronic post, although they've kind of aided and abetted the fraud. So very briefly, I ordered some books from the United States. The books cost $123. So long as what I'm buying online that is going to be delivered via the post, via the mail, via a courier, is the price of it. So long as it's less than €150, Euros, then I'm fine. Legally, you have to pay no customs and excise tax on that. They cannot charge you. I've already paid for the goods. I've already paid VAT in America on the books because obviously the price of the books includes VAT. And I've paid shipment, quite a large shipping fee, maybe $70, $75 to get these books here. They're heavy, of course. They've had to be shipped from America. It's not cheap. And I willingly paid it because there are excellent books that I cannot wait to buy, a wonderful author, and I cannot wait to read them. However, the authorities here, the Customs and Excise in France, the Duin, have charged me 30 quid. You can't do that. Your own rules, ladies and gentlemen, say that if the goods are worth less than 150 euros, you cannot charge me any taxes. So why have you stolen my money this morning? I'll be getting that back and I'll be getting some compo, but I'll, I'll update you on that one another day. We've got to start challenging this. We've got to start challenging everything. They're robbing us. So not only has the customs and excise committed fraud this morning, they fraudulently charged me taxes. Chronic Post, Chrono Post, has aided and abetted fraud. Because they should have looked at that and gone, hang on a minute, you can't do that. That's not legal. The courier should know too. They should know the, they should know the laws that, that pertain to shipping stuff, shouldn't they? If they're going to be shippers. Anyway, the driver, oh, he was squealing. What a drip. No wonder the French surrendered easily. What a drip he was. He's like, it's the police. Do you understand the Duan are the police? I'm like, no, they're not. They're customs and excise. And yes, I understand perfectly. Their job is to uphold the law. <laughs> 
they are doing something illegal. The law is above these people, believe it or not. Customs and excise, even though they might think they are, are not above the law of the land, nor are the police, gendarme, whatever. Not interested, fella, not interested. Anyway, like I said, that's an ongoing complaint, and I'll be seeking the expert advice of Mr. Herbert as I uh, formulate my complaints so that we can get not just my money back, but I want to cause their HR department a massive headache, and I'm going to fine them. I want compensation. If I'm writing them a letter, I'm going to charge them for the letter I'm going to write them. Doctors charge to write letters, don't they? And lawyers, solicitors, solicitor, that's a funny word, isn't it? When you solicit stuff, it's a bit seedy, isn't it? Anyway, just saying. And solicitors charge for letters, doctors charge for letters. Well, this maths teacher's decided that she's now charging for letters. So don't make me have to write to you because I'm going to charge you. Okay, let's crack on with the meat, the main event. I have been doing so much reading into psychological health with particular regard to teaching children, because that's my passion, teaching people, whether they're young, old, doesn't matter, teaching, teaching, teaching. But I had no idea about the importance of sleep on not just your physical health, but your mental health. I didn't, I did not know a thing about this, especially when I started teaching. I wish I'd known this when I was a classroom teacher. I really do. But you know, everything happens for a reason. And at least now I've finally done the reading. So much of the what would you call it? The inspiration for this has been taken from Matthew, Dr. Matthew Walker's international bestseller, a book called Why We Sleep, The New Science of Sleep and Dreams. I'm just going to read you a tiny section on the very last page, the conclusion, to sleep or not to sleep. He says, within the space of a mere hundred years, human beings have abandoned their biologically mandated need for adequate sleep. One that evolution spent 3.4 million years perfecting in service of life support functions. As a result, the decimation of sleep throughout industrialized nations is having a catastrophic impact on our health, our life expectancy, our safety, our productivity, and the education of our children. This silent sleep loss epidemic is the greatest public health challenge we face in the 21st century in developed nations. If we wish to avoid the suffocating noose of sleep neglect, the premature death it inflicts, and the sickening health it invites, a radical shift in our personal, cultural, professional and societal appreciation of sleep must occur. I believe it is time for us to reclaim our right to a full night of sleep, without embarrassment or the damaging stigma of laziness. In doing so, we can be reunited with that most powerful elixir of wellness and vitality, dispensed through every conceivable biological pathway. Then we may remember what it feels like to be truly awake during the day, infused with the very deepest plentitude of being. Now, I don't agree with everything that Mr. Dr. Matthew Walker says in this book. He's a little bit new agey for me. He's a little bit tech geek, like kind of scary tech geek, wants us to wear wearables to track our sleep, track our heartbeat. He's a little bit OTT. However, I always say to my people, Gorilla Edders, do not throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can find pearls of wisdom even amongst the most filthy rags. So, and I'm not calling, I'm not calling Dr. Matthew Walker's book a filthy rag. It's not but there are sections of it that will worry you. Don't read it and think that I believe in all of this. I don't. But I do have to say that much of this book is very well researched. This gentleman, Matthew Walker, does seem to really, really love sleep and he has studied it properly, certainly so it would seem. Anyway, I've kind of focused in on the education section because I didn't realise the kinds of damage that can be done just through lack of sleep to a child's psychological health as well as their physical health. It is unbelievably frightening. A few weeks back, I did a live stream called Is ADHD Even Real? 
or something offensive like that. Uh, it had an offensive title. Oh no, is ADHD fake? There we go. Uh, even more offensive, probably. Is ADHD fake? I did that a few weeks ago. It's live stream five. You can find that on Odyssey. And I talked about if you took your child to the doctor and didn't mention to the doctor that your child was chronically sleep deprived, then the doctor is very likely to diagnose your child with ADHD because the symptoms are identical to those of people with chronic sleep deprivation. And the problem is we're very unrealistic as to what chronic sleep deprivation really is. As human beings, we don't respect sleep enough. Human beings are living in industrialized Western nations, first world countries. We are very disrespectful of sleep. We are not yet fully awake to its health, psychological and physiological benefits. And as such, we think, oh yeah, little Johnny had seven hours. That's within the seven to nine hours range. That's fine. Well, no, it's not fine. It's not fine if little Johnny happens to need nine and a half hours sleep a night. I'm one of the weirdos. I think I need over nine hours. I think I naturally take over nine hours. Everyone knows, you know, oh, eight hours sleep a night's what you need. Well, that's an average, isn't it? So most people range between seven and nine hours. But because most people range between seven and nine hours of sleep requirement per night, every night, there are those of us who are like 10 hours, nine and a half hours. And there are also people who I describe as lucky who only need six, six and a half. But let me just put a caveat on that. There are many people, especially these seemingly highfalutin business types who brag about being up at 5am and being in the 5am club and having extra hours in their day to do more stuff, blah, blah, blah. Well, just because they say they're fine and just because they seem to be earning lots of money or whatever, it doesn't mean that they're not storing up massive health consequences in the future. If they're using an alarm to wake themselves up, it's because they've not had enough sleep. Sorry. I know that's going to upset some people. I'm sorry if you don't like it. It's the truth. If you're using an alarm to wake yourself up in the morning, it's because you're not ready to wake up. I wake up at the same time every morning and I haven't used an alarm clock for over eight years. Every morning, same time. The only time I might sleep in, it's really interesting actually, is when I'm sick. It's like a precursor to being sick. Very often I come down with something if I've slept in and it's my body telling me that you need to sleep some more today because you're not okay with trying to fix something here. Your body's fixing itself. It's healing itself while you're asleep. Anyway, how does this help our children? What's this got to do with mental health? And how does all of this stuff fit together? Well, like I said, I'm going to get stuck into this properly on Tuesday night at 8 p.m. That's Tuesday, the 27th of June, 8 p.m. It's free. Get yourself along and I'll show you all the stuff. However, just allow me to give you a, a little teaser here. So taking from Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep, page 308, there's a section called Sleep and Education. More than 80% of public high schools in the United States begin before 8.15 a.m. Almost 50% of those start before 7.20 a.m. School buses for a 7.20 a.m. start usually begin picking up kids at around 5.45 a.m. As a result, some children and teenagers must wake up at 5.30 a.m., 5.15 a.m. or even earlier and do so five days out of every seven for years on end. This is lunacy. That was him speaking, by the way, not me. He said this is lunacy. I would have said something much ruder. Continuing in Dr. Matthew Walker's voice, could you concentrate and learn much of anything when you had woken up so early? Keep in mind that 5.15am to a teenager is not the same as 5.15am to an adult. Previously, we noted that the circadian rhythm of teenagers shifts forward dramatically by once three hours. So, really, the question I should ask you, if you're an adult, is this. Could you concentrate and learn anything after having forcefully been woken at 3.15am, day after day after day? Would you be in a cheerful mood? 
Would you find it easy to get along with your co-workers and conduct yourself with grace, tolerance, respect, and a pleasant demeanour? Of course not. Why then do we ask this of the millions of teenagers and children in industrialised nations? Surely this is not an optimal design of education, nor does it bear any resemblance to a model for nurturing good physical or mental health in our children and teenagers. Forced by the hand of early school start times, this state of chronic sleep deprivation is especially concerning, considering that adolescence is the most susceptible phase of life for developing chronic mental illnesses, such as depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, and suicidality. Unnecessarily bankrupting the sleep of a teenager could make all the difference in the precarious tipping point between psychological wellness and lifelong psychiatric illness. This is a strong statement, and I do not write it flippantly or without evidence. Back in the 1960s, when the functions of sleep were still largely unknown, researchers selectively deprived young adults of REM sleep, REM sleep, and thus dreaming for a week while still allowing them NREM sleep. The unfortunate study participants spent the entire time in the laboratory with electrodes placed on their heads. At night, whenever they entered into the REM sleep state, REM sleep state, a research assistant would quickly enter the bedroom and wake the subjects up. The blurry-eyed participants then had to do math problems for five to ten minutes, preventing them from falling back into dream sleep. But as soon as the participants did return to REM sleep, REM sleep, the procedure was repeated. Hour after hour, night after night, this went on for an entire week. NREM sleep was left largely intact, but the amount of REM sleep was reduced to a fraction of its regular quantity. It didn't require all seven nights of dream sleep deprivation before the mental health effects began to manifest. By the third day, participants were expressing signs of psychosis. They became anxious, moody, and started to hallucinate. They were hearing things and seeing things that were not real. They also became paranoid. Some believed that the researchers were plotting against them in collusive ways, trying to poison them, for example. Others became convinced that the scientists were secret agents and that the experiment was a thinly veiled government conspiracy of some wicked kind. These sound like really cool people, don't they? Only then did scientists realise the rather profound conclusions of the experiment. REM sleep is what stands between rationality and insanity. Describe these symptoms to a psychiatrist without informing them of the REM sleep deprivation context and the clinician will give clear diagnosis of depression, anxiety disorders and schizophrenia. But these were healthy young individuals just days before. They were not depressed, weren't suffering from anxiety disorders or schizophrenia, nor did they have any history of such conditions, self or familial. Read of any attempts to break down sleep deprivation world records throughout early history and you will discover this same universal signature of emotional instability and psychosis of one sort or another. It's the lack of REM sleep, that critical stage occurring in the final hours of sleep that we strip from our children and teenagers by way of early school start times that creates the difference between a stable and unstable mental state. Our children didn't always go to school at this biologically unreasonable time. A century ago, schools in the US started at 9am. As a result, 95% of all children woke up without an alarm clock. Now the inverse is true, caused by the incessant marching back of school start times, which are in direct conflict with children's evolutionary pre-programmed need to be asleep during these precious REM sleep-rich morning hours. It's yeah, There's so much, and there's so, so much that I want to share with you. I want to read more and more and more, but I've broken this down in a much better way for my lecture on Tuesday. So I just thought that would give you a little flavour of what's going on here. The earlier your children have to get, it's actually not the school start time per se, it's the time that your children have to get out of bed to get to school that's the problem. And it is a massive problem, and especially for teenagers whose circadian rhythm has moved forward during teenage years between one and three hours compared to a normal person, an adult, a fully functioning adult. 
So this stuff is extremely dangerous. I'll just quickly give you the stuff a little bit on ADHD in case you missed my is ADHD fake from the other week. Let's just have a little look. Here it is. So let me see. An added reason for making sleep a top priority in the education and lives of our children concerns the link between sleep deficiency and the epidemic of ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Children with this diagnosis are irritable, moodier, more distractible and unfocused in learning during the day and have a significantly increased prevalence of depression and suicidal ideation. If you make a composite of these symptoms, unable to maintain focus and attention, deficient learning, behaviorally difficult, with mental health instability, and then strip away the label of ADHD, these symptoms are nearly identical to those caused by lack of sleep. Take an underslept child to a doctor and describe these symptoms without mentioning the lack of sleep, which is not uncommon. And what would you imagine the doctor is diagnosing the child with and medicating them for? Not deficient sleep, but ADHD. And then he goes on to criticize the kind of drugs that are given to children who have ADHD because they screw up the sleep even more. (laughs) Yeah, isn't that a funny old thing? Oh, we'll help you with your ADHD. This will screw up your sleep. The ADHD that you've probably not got, you actually just have sleep deprivation. That's not to say that ADHD doesn't exist, yada, yada, yada. But it is to say that an awful lot of these cases are children who are not getting proper sleep. Children who are playing on Xbox and gaming crap all night. Children who are watching inappropriate things on late night TV or on their phones or on Netflix or whatever. An awful lot of these modern health diseases or modern health complaints, particularly of a psychological nature, they haven't come from nowhere, have they? Yeah, they didn't just appear. This is a massive, massive problem. and. The treatment is wrong. You know, this gentleman, Dr. Matthew Walker, saying, should we sort out their sleep first? Should we make sure that they're not chronically sleep deprived? Should we send them to school a little bit later? Should we make sure they're not playing game stations and silly, violent computer games late into the night? Wouldn't that be a better place to start instead of medicating them with stuff that screws up their sleep? Because even if they don't have sleep deprivation, they will have after after they've been taking these drugs that don't allow you to sleep properly or cause serious disruption to sleep. Not sleeping is dangerous, physically dangerous, but especially psychologically dangerous. So I hope that's whet your appetite for my lecture on Tuesday called Child Mental Health 101. We won't be just digging into the problems. We'll be digging in, of course, to the solutions. How can we counter this? How can we make sure our children maintain their physical and psychological well-being? I remember the days when you just used to get a clip around the ear roll and told not to cheek your elders and betters. We didn't seem to have so much mental health problems back then, did we? They must have come from somewhere. Where have they come from? And on that note, I'm going, to leave, I'm going to leave that with you. Have a think. Have a think about that. Send me some comments in the chat. Maybe you have some ideas. Maybe you've read some more stuff that you think I should read too. I will bring that and more. And of course, I won't. There's no way I can manage a whole night's lecture without mentioning John Taylor Gatto and his work. So I'll be doing that for you too. That'll all be on Tuesday night, Tuesday the 27th, 8 p.m. UK time. And you can get yourself along to that by joining my Substack. It's free. My substack is sarahplumley.substack.com. Hope you have a very enjoyable rest of your Sunday and I shall look forward to seeing you guys on Tuesday night. And hopefully, maybe by then I'll have some better news about the banksters, but don't hold me to that one, hey? Have a great week. Take back your individual sovereignty and that of your family. Visit sarahplumley.substack.com and subscribe for free to stay up to speed with all things education, not indoctrination.